0: So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats, because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients, So send your questions to AskLisa at DrLisaDemore.com. Today, we're going to talk about coronavirus and the impact on kids' social development. So, Lisa, I found this article incredibly amusing in The New York Times. The title is, We're All Socially Awkward Now. (laughs) (laughs) And it says that people, you know, now they're deprived of interactions with their peers And their social skills are going to start to atrophy and this is yet another side of the pandemic i'm wondering if you agree with that
1: you know i saw that article and i was looking at it and i was like oh man they're talking about grown-ups right who actually had fully developed presumably fully developed social skills before the pandemic and right away my thought went to okay what does this mean for kiddos who are still developing their social skills and now we've got this big pause on the normal circumstances that we put kids in to help them do this. So
0: that, that's that been heavy on my mind. You know, we actually got a question from an email from a listener, and I want to read it to you. It says, I'm a mother of a 15-year-old. Prior to the pandemic, she definitely tended toward being more introverted. That being said, she has a great group of friends, the same friends since fourth grade, and enjoys seeing them. However, she always has had difficulty initiating get-togethers with friends, And this has been magnified greatly during the pandemic with the usual teen outings being taken away. So I guess my questions are, when is the time to worry regarding a teen being socially isolated during the pandemic? And do I just let her take the lead in all this as long as she seems to be coping okay? I think it's a question that a lot of parents have regardless of what age group your child might be in. These are good questions. Um, and certainly, questions I'm
1: hearing a lot from parents who are watching their teens have very quiet social lives, um, especially compared to before, and especially if the teen already tended toward being a little bit introverted. and And one of the things I'm hearing a lot from parents is like how how interventionist should I be? How much should I be pushing or mm-hmm. urging or encouraging, you know, friends to come over? And and so I think that's got to be heavy on this mom's mind as she's watching her daughter be alone a fair bit and now what looks like over an extended period of
0: time. You know, you talk about how interventionist should you be. I think a lot of parents worry when do you hit the panic button and really worry, like, what are the things at this point that cannot be reversed? What's the damage that can be done during this pandemic? Oh, well, if we think about it in terms of you know, real worries, like
1: when when's the serious, serious stuff? That would be, I think, any kid who feels totally socially isolated, who just feels cut off from their peers and has no positive connection to them digitally or in person. and And that's grounds for concern, actually, at any point. Pandemic, no pandemic, I always worry if there's a kiddo who has no friends, And for me, the difference between one friend and no friends is, you know, they are universes apart as far as I'm concerned. In this one, it sounds like things are quieter, but the mom says something really key at the end, which is that her daughter actually seems to be okay, you Mm -hmm. know, and so should she just go with that or should she try to step things up a bit? My rule, again, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, you know, and also during the pandemic, is that if the kid is okay with it, then the parent has to be okay with it. And I think sometimes this is hard if the parent themselves is quite social and likes to have a lot of connections and a lot going on. I think sometimes if they've got a kid who seems like surprisingly content with a fairly small and very tame social life, I think the parent can sometimes go a little bit too far into prompting and pushing especially when the kid really is kind of doing all right and and not showing any signs of, you know,
0: grounds for concern any other way. I'd love to look at social development from sort of college on down with the different age groups. Could you walk us through what you feel could be concern during the pandemic with social development?
1: Yeah, okay, so this girl, so if she's 15, she's probably in high school. And the mom senses she's okay. And what I would say, really actually middle school and up, but we can then sort of, I want to go more granular. What we know from the research on what really is necessary in terms of social support, it's not having a big, busy social life. And and this is really important actually to tell high schoolers and middle schoolers that being socially successful, which matters to them is not about how many people you're hanging out with and how many people you're in contact with. When we really scrape away at that research and look at what does it mean to have the you know, personal connections that we all need, it actually comes down to three things that everybody needs to have. And this is actually true at all ages, but it's really helpful to tell young people this. So everybody needs somebody they can tell their worries to, you know, the things that they're concerned about. Everybody needs someone they can tell their secrets to. (laughs) People, you know, someone they can just trust with something that's very close to their hearts. And everybody needs someone or a group of people who help them to feel connected and accepted. That's it. And so, like, you know, Rena, like, um, some grownups get this all from their spouse or their partner Mm. and are quite content. And some kids get this all from one best friend Mm. and are quite content and some people need to spread this across a great number of
0: people. Um, I think I distribute mine a little bit. Um, do you? What do you think you do? Yeah, I mean, I think I have girlfriends that I'm incredibly close to that I, I think. And then, I, particularly during this pandemic, I think you, you lean on certain people way more.
1: Yeah. And, and so it may not even be the same people you leaned on before. And that's actually one thing I've seen with kids that's been quite fascinating to watch, actually, is that for a lot of them, the sort of the high school, middle school crew, a lot of the social relationships they had before the pandemic were very contextually driven. Like these were the kids they hung out with because they saw them at school or because they were all in the same friend group. But if you take away the school piece or you take away the ability to get together as a group, there's not a whole lot of glue left to that relationship. Mm -hmm. And so what I've seen actually is a lot of kids who are then – rebooting other supportive relationships from other parts of their life huh. that are not as contextually driven. It's really interesting. That is special. Yeah. No, I've heard about kids who, you know, like high schoolers who had a really close middle school friend who went to another high school and they're talking to that person all the time because that friendship is not so much driven by being in a traffic pattern together where they go to class wow. or they hang out on the weekend. And And I will say I've seen the same with grown-ups as they've been disconnected from their social networks, maybe of work or the neighborhood stuff they maybe did. I'm watching grown-ups sort of plug into backup social systems like, um, you know, talking to their college roommates uh-huh. a lot, having zoom uh-huh. line uh-huh. with people they haven't seen for a long time. and and i I really love watching people get creative and and know that they need social support. But recognize, and this is true for grownups, and then we have to extend this to kids as well, it doesn't mean they have to stay in the patterns they had. They just need someone to tell their worries to, someone who acts as a confidant, and someone who helps them feel, you know, connected and accepted. And as long as those needs are met... We're going to do it however we can do it, and our kids are going to do it however they can do it in the context
0: of the pandemic. Mm, So true. I mean, I think I've reconnected with some of my childhood friends from back in Tampa, Florida, and and I, I get it. It's like certain needs are being met that they're helping you through going through the same thing. When you look at teens, what about college students? Do you group them in the same group as teens and what they need at this point? I would,
1: but it's really interesting because a lot of college students, and especially new college students are not able to have the social experience they've imagined. You know, so many of the families I'm talking to about kids who are, you know, heading off to college for the first time, you know, they are taking a test and then sitting isolated in a dorm room by themselves while they're waiting for test results, and then they're going and getting their meals and they're taking them back to their rooms. And the parents especially are feeling very, very concerned, like they're not having the social experience they're supposed to be having. And, and as I've talked to kids, and I've talked to some kids at college, you know, they're feeling, understandably, like they're not having that experience. And there's two things I've been saying that seem to be helpful. So to the kids, and I would say this to, you know, college, teenager, you know, any, you know, middle school and up, I would say, look, here are the needs that need to be met, right? Worries, <laughs> secrets, connected and accepted. As long as those needs are met, you're okay, And you might be meeting those needs with your parents, maybe the people you can tell your worries to. It may be a sibling who, you know, you can tell your secrets to. It may be a friend from camp who makes you feel connected and accepted. As long as those needs are met, you've got what I call your cake (laughs) and (laughs) that everything beyond that is icing. Mm. And I've had so many teenagers feel so reassured by this because they look out at these busy social lives and they think, I'm doing it wrong. You know, what's wrong with me? And they seem to find it very reassuring to hear that it can be done in any number of ways as long as
0: those needs are met. Gosh, I wish you were there in middle school and high school to tell <laughs> me that. Because that, I, I always feel like I had one really good friend every year based on your classes and, and that that is more than enough to get you through.
1: It is more than enough. It is consistently more than enough. And that's actually really important for us to recognize And then on the social landscape about going to college, you know, one thing I have started saying to families, because it is such a mess this year. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: One thing I've started to say is that watching this year's college transition has made me appreciate that normal college transitions cram together three things that are actually each in and of themselves a really big deal. So one is leaving home. The other is getting used to college and being in a dorm and living on a campus, and then the third is starting a college social life. Hmm. And what I've been saying to parents is, this year your kid's going to do one. (laughs) They're going to do the see what a dorm room looks like, see what the campus looks like. They may be home in three weeks, so you're not doing the huge goodbye, and they will not be having the normal social experience. So if everybody can get used to the idea that they need their cake, they need their support, it's probably not going to be their college classmates this year, then we can just accept that they'll do part of the transition now
0: and they'll do the rest of the transition later. It also goes back to what you talked about last week, which is, you know, setting up this is what you can expect and letting people know, you know, your, your children know that this is not, you know, acknowledging this is not where you want it to be, but here's what we expect will happen. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. Eco EcoSheets look just like a dryer sheet, but
1: instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using Earth Breeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, And yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good, and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash Lisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with daily harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa.
0: This message is sponsored by Greenlight. And they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age. That you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com/asklisa. That's greenlight.com/asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com/asklisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. You know, the group that I really worry about, because I don't know why I think I have painful memories from that time period of my childhood, (laughs) is middle school. You're Mm. going through all these hormonal changes. I worry about what are these people who are like adolescent going into their teenage years? I mean, those are big moments in life, right? Just like going to college. Like, what do you worry about for those kids where their hormones are raging and they're not getting a normal setup? Yeah. No, I, for me, the
1: trickiest piece of this actually does feel like sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Little kids are in some ways easier, and I'll say why, but, you know, and then the big kids are easier because they have lots of ways to connect digitally, and they're more content sometimes with smaller groups, so they've kind of found themselves in one or two best friends. They can accept that, but middle school, <laughs> you know, it's so defining who you hang out with and, they are under normal conditions. Middle school is like the midwifing from little kid to more like a grown up. You, you know, as a little kid, you're really close with your family. And when you're in high school, you're a little more remote from your family. You know, you can still like them a lot, but you don't tell them all the same stuff. But middle school is that sort of in-between space where kids are really, really eager to be separate from their families and really, really anxious about how well plugged in they are socially. Um and so I think for them I worry, you know, quite a bit because they're in that kind of betwixt and between. And the age especially, if just to home in on one, I think thirteen is so hard. You know, the twelve, you're still seventh grader, maybe your parents are still alright, maybe they're thirteen, if you are a normally developing thirteen-year-old, your parents, like you are totally allergic to them. Everything mm. they do is wrong, <laughs> everything they do is annoying, and your friends are what you live for. And mm. so I think a lot about that, you know, sort of 12, you know, 11, 12, 13, but especially 13 as kids needing to have support and a sense that they belong. And, mm. and that's actually what's at the core of it is middle schoolers need to feel that they belong because they're, they're just unsure of where they fit into the world.
0: What do you think it is that teens need to hear right now?
1: I think the older kids for sure benefit from hearing, you know, as long as your needs are met and there are these three needs, nothing else, you're okay. And we'll sort the rest out later. I think for middle schoolers, they need to hear that there is somewhere they truly belong. They need to feel there's somewhere they truly belong that is not their family life at home, not their immediate nuclear family. So it really may be, that we need to go out of our way to make sure that middle schoolers even under pandemic conditions are plugged in with their cousins or plugged in with some classmates you know done safely or plugged in with you know wherever there's a place of worship some sense of belonging to a group beyond the home one thing i've watched kids do is use texting to create groups of kids like I know kids who text all year with the kids they go to camp with. Mm. And that is a sense of belonging that is so critical and really will I think help kids get through while they're feeling unsure of how they belong at school or in the configuration at school. What about elementary age kids? So when I think about the social universe of elementary age kids, let's since we're going down from older to younger. So let's start third and fourth grade, third, fourth, fifth, really. So this is when lasting friendships really start to come into the picture. Younger than that, and we'll talk about that, like, you know, K-1-2, the friendships tend not to be as intense and long-lasting. But by third, fourth, and fifth, kids do start to have a longer sense of, you know, who my friends are, and they tend to stay friends with kids over a longer period of the year. But, and this is important, they still are pretty comfortable being embedded in family life. So as we think about kids' social development in that three, four, five, first thing I think parents should take comfort in is they themselves can probably check A lot of the boxes of, can they tell me their worries? You know, can they tell me their secrets? Do they feel connected and accepted within the family? A lot of that can get done at home. That said, I think we need to find ways for all kids, even kids who are embedded in family life, to see their peers safely and without masks, actually. Even if it means having to be outdoors with lots of grown-up supervision, they need ways to see each other read faces, play, be spontaneous.
0: Why is that so important that elementary age kids see each other without masks? I never thought that would be of importance.
1: Yeah, and I hadn't really thought about it till just now. You know, so much of third, fourth, and fifth is starting to really build empathy and understanding the impact of your behavior on others and learning how to read others in much more subtle and sophisticated ways. And I don't know how that happens if you can't see their faces, really. So creating opportunities for them to play and be together, you know, especially while the weather is still good, I I think for those kids that part of emotional and social development probably cannot
0: happen when they can't read each other's faces. I had no idea about that and that phase of development in elementary school. What about kids under five, Lisa?
1: Mm, okay, so actually let's do k one two because that's fi- five five yep. six, and seven um, these friendships a lot of them are defined you know, if you kind of go really generally by what's called the handy playmate phase of social development, which is i'm friends with whoever wants to do with what, what I want to do right now
0: <laughs> so like when you watch
1: <laughs> when you watch them play they're very um they're like, oh, you want to do jump rope? You're my best friend. You don't want to do jump rope anymore? Okay, never mind. I'm going to go play with that other kid. Like, So <laughs> it's important that they have socialization, and it's important that they pe- be with their peers, but those kind of deep, long-lasting friendships are not usually the hardcore feature of social activity in those ages. And so a lot of what you're learning in terms of social development in those ages is stuff like being fair and taking turns and not cheating, because um, there's a lot of cheating, <laughs> um, and you know, being a good loser, things like that. You know, that's a lot of the social lessons of those those ages,
0: and hard to learn at that age too. Being yeah. fair and learning to lose well, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, especially you know, like first graders, like they're really, really rigid about fairness, and they also don't like losing. I mean, they're very. Um, it's just sort of the nature of that age. Those things we can actually work on with our kids at home. I have actually been playing a lot of backgammon with my... Really? Yeah, which I had not ever... I played it as a kid, and then I haven't played it since I myself was in the fifth grade, so I had a backgammon board. I think I'd gotten it for my practice a long time ago and then never <sighs> used it. Uh-huh. And, and you know, my my younger daughter, who I've been playing with, she's nine. She's past, you know, the age where kids get really, really hurt about losing or winning or any of those things. But it's important, I think, when we're playing games with our kids to teach them how to be a good winner, how to be a good loser. And a lot of that is modeling it. So with your kids who are K-1, two, you know, in those grades, play games with them and use that as time to kind of do the training that they're missing at school mm. around how to be someone who's fun to play with, basically. Mm. So I think that's one thing we can kind of shore up right now.
0: And for the kids under five?
1: Um, okay, Rena. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I as a mother hated play dates with kids under five. Do you remember doing those when oh, your kids you were kidding? like four and a half? I, I hated There's them. a reason
0: I only have two children. I think I was done after the second. It was just so hard. Those those parents with kids under five do not get enough respect and attention because those are hard years where you can't tell them to do something like they're not always they're not on the same page as you. Not Very at often. all.
1: and you and like and those playdates like that I would set
0: up, and I've watched other parents set up. You have
1: one idea about how they're going to go down. Like, oh, we're going to go over to their house, and it's going to be so lovely, or we're going to have them over. And the way it usually goes with three and four-year-olds, especially, is that like they can't stand anybody touching their toys, and then they have a total meltdown about something dumb. And then like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like, mm-hmm. I remember how freeing it was when I finally just said out loud, like, I hate doing playdates. Like, I hate
0: them. Yeah. You know, I was so worried about a kid choking on a Lego on my watch, so <laughs> it just made me really stressed out. But like,
1: yeah, oh it's God, a hard, Legos. It's hard age group. I don't miss Legos. I have to say, I mean, I know they're really wonderful, but... The, the pain, pieces. the pain of stepping on a Lego when barefoot, I think is True. actually <laughs> True. one of the, like, True. you could use, it's like worse than childbirth. <laughs> um, so three and four year olds, you know, occasionally they have delightful moments. Mostly they are so, I find exhausting. I adore them and they are the cutest things ever, but they can be really, really hard to have, you know, play dates with. And the thing that makes playdates hard with three- and four-year-olds, and this is something we can work on in terms of just shoring up social skills at home, is they use their bodies to express their feelings (laughs) as opposed to their words, right? So a three-year-old, if a friend touches their favorite toy, they're going to go over and grab it out of the kid's hand and then, you know, have a fit. And that's what three-year-olds do. That's what they're designed to do. What we want to do with that three-year-old is to coach them, to say, you can't grab stuff from people. You can say, that's my toy, can I have a turn next? You know, Or something like that. We're doing all that coaching all the time. That kind of coaching we can do without another three-year-old present. Because three-year-olds act like three-year-olds and four-year-olds act like four-year-olds with everybody. So if we're working on trying to shore up social skills in the absence of spending time with their age mates, what we're going to do for three- and four-year-olds is really promote the use of language in the place of action. And, and we're going to do that like you can't shove, you can't grab, you can say this, 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 and this, but you can't show me with your body. And if we do that a lot at home, they'll hit the ground running socially where they need to be when they can be back
0: with their peers. Mm. You know, everyone talked about the terrible twos. <sighs> no, nobody talked about three-nagers. Like, three was so hard. I mean, I remember it so distinctly. They're three-nagers. Like, they don't listen. They don't want to hear what you have to say. They have a mind of their own. It really is. They're three-nagers. Three-year-olds are so much harder than two-year-olds. And actually, we should do
1: a whole show on that. I have so much to say on that. So let's put a pin in this because, like, I love talking about three-year-olds. I adore them. And I would say three is hard. Thirteen is hard. I think the three Mm. years can be really tricky. And then one and two-year-olds... Don't worry about their social lives. Um, parents of their social lives, that's okay. So you know, just having a good close connection at home and love at home,
0: no need to worry. So not having daycare or being around. I know a lot of parents with under two aren't able to send their kids to daycare. Like, Should they be worried about social development at that age where they would be interacting with other kids? No,
1: I don't think they need to worry. I really don't. I just think as long as they get good love at home and they know what kind relationships feel like, and know how they should expect to be treated by people, that will
0: set them up with
1: everything they need for when they're back with their kids their same age.
0: So bottom line, Lisa, when school eventually starts back up again, what do people really have to be worried about with their kids' social development? What do you think could stunt them socially? Is there anything that you're really worried about? In general, I'm not that worried, to
1: tell you the truth. I do think kids will be behind. I mean, I'm, I'm realistic. I mean, I think we're going to do what we can at home to kind of keep things rolling. But the cool thing about kids is that they're very adaptable and they're very resilient. And so, you know, going back actually to that initial question about the 15-year-old, mm-hmm. one of the things that's really interesting in development, because that's probably a kiddo who's somewhere between ninth and 10th grade, The way that ninth graders socialize is really different than the way that 10th graders socialize. That ninth graders are still pretty anxious about, you know, who they're connected to. And 10th graders, for the most part, are kind of over it. Like, they're like, eh, I got my friends. I'm cool. Like, you can sit with us. Like, you're not one of our friends, but we like you. That's fine. Whereas ninth graders can't always do that. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking, like, what are next year's 10th graders going to be like? Are they going to be basically like ninth graders? Are they going to be a year behind? Mm -hmm. And my guess, and this is a pretty strong guess, is... I bet they start the year acting like ninth graders and they finish the year acting like 10th graders. I bet that they're going to compress all of that development into a year. I'm not that worried about it.
0: Hmm. So much to think about, but I think you have these moments where as parents were wondering, okay, what do I need to think about that when we come out of this, we're not so far behind, right? And I'm not just even talking about math and reading. That's a whole other topic. Oh, but man. <laughs> yeah, that is a whole other topic. We are not paying our teachers nearly enough. That's all I have to say. That right? is the truth. Believe that strongly. And, and parents are not meant to be teachers. Not all parents, I should say are meant to be teachers. But yeah, I, I think people worry about it a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So on a more hopeful note, what would you say is your parenting
1: to go? All right, this is, this is one of my favorites, and I'm so glad we're on the topic of social lives. When it comes to kids' social lives, all of the research tells us that it's all about quality, not about quantity. The happiest kids have one or two good friends. Having a larger social group, however you come by it, even as the kid you know enjoys it, it's actually stressful. You're worried about maintaining all of these ties. You're worried about how everybody in the group gets along. So kids with one or two good friends tend to be the happiest, tend to be the least stressed. They themselves can feel like they're kind of not cool and don't have a big group. But we as parents can reassure them, one or two good friends, Cookie, you are good to go. Less is more in the friendship department
0: sometimes. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lisa. You bet. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop.